welcome to the Axiom Church podcast. These are talks and conversations about the centrality of Jesus and his kingdom from our community. Enjoy. We are a community that is centered on Jesus. And it turns out Jesus talks a lot about money. So if we want to be centered on Jesus, we should be talking about money too. And we should be paying special attention to what Jesus says about money. So this is a continuation of our discussion on what Jesus says about money. Now, some of the things that Jesus says about money run contrary to what our culture says about money. And that can actually make some internal tension for us. It can actually be a little bit uncomfortable, some of the things that he says. So I want to start out with this reminder. Jesus promises abundant life. So what exactly does an abundant life look like? Um, my, my family and I, we moved here about 10 years ago and we had our own little plans for abundance. We moved here from Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is a fast-paced, very expensive place to live. We thought we're gonna come to Phoenix, slow down a little, maybe retire a little earlier with all the money we're gonna save. But things don't always work out the way you plan. You know, uh, shortly after we moved here, I got transferred to a new boss, new position that did not suit me very well. And suddenly I became a remote employee who was overpaid for the job that I was doing, which puts me pretty high on the layoff list. That became very worrisome to me. Um, we, we had dreams of like, easy money in real estate, right? And so we invested pretty heavily right before a big crash and we lost half of our life savings. So much for early retirement. We started out with empty calendars, but they quickly filled up. I enrolled in seminary. Um, Charlene uh, got very involved with our girls' choir. The kids were in choir and drama and school and everything else. Thank you, Phoenix, so much for a slower pace of life. But on top of that, um, right about that time, Charlene's mom was diagnosed with cancer. And so we spent our first six months out here going back and forth, managing her care from afar. And at the end of that six months, she died. Right about that time, we found out we were pregnant, which was very exciting there were complications and we never got to meet that kid so Jesus where is this abundant life that I was promised well before we can answer that question we have to answer a different question which is what is an abundant life so what exactly is an abundant life well, the world's only too happy to answer that question. And in America, that answer starts with money. So if you live in America and you don't know what an abundant life looks like, well, frankly, that's embarrassing. The average American sees between five and 10,000 ads a day. How could you possibly be told 10,000 thousand times a day what an abundant life looks like and not know. Abundant life is cheaper car insurance. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, sounds crazy, but it's true. A lizard told me all about it. Yeah, abundant life is, is crispier potato chips. Abundant life is a more effective exercise program and a diet that needs you don't even need that exercise program. Abundant life is a different brand of soft drink than whatever you're drinking now. Abundant life is easy-to-use accounting software. Abundant Life is an electric car that goes zero to 60 in 4.8 seconds. All it takes is a little more money. In 2008, the Wall Street Journal did a survey asking people, how much money um, does a person really need to not have to worry about money anymore? So what do you think? What kind of, now we're not talking buy the diamondbacks, just be comfortable, not have to worry anymore. How much, how much money do you think uh, people said? What do you think? Give me, give me some guesses. So again, 50,000. A million. That's somebody who wants to live very comfortably. Yeah. So, so it turns out the, the answer is twice as much as you're making. And you're like, what kind of answer is that? We all make different amounts. And that's exactly the point. The people who said 50000 said, yeah, you know, if somebody made $100,000, they wouldn't have to worry anymore. The people who made 100000 said, wow, I bet like 200000 then you wouldn't need to worry. The people who, who made 200000 literally, they, they're like, oh, that would take about $400,000. The, the rat race is a race that the rats never finish because the finish line keeps moving. The harder you run, the further away it gets. You feel like that? So, so um, it, it, at its heart, I think the American dream is about independence. It's about not having to depend on somebody else for my next meal, not having to worry about, am I going to have a place to live either today or tomorrow? It's about not being vulnerable to recession or, or inflation. It's about not having to ask for help. It's about not having to do what somebody else tells me to do just because they have something that I need. So, what exactly is it that we need anyways? So um, there's a lot of ways to divide this up. I like to group it into three P's. This doesn't, not a perfect fit, but it helps me remember. Peace, people, and purpose, right? By peace, I mean we have this, we have this uh, longing to sort of have our physical needs taken care of, right? I, to, to have enough to eat, to um, have a place to live, to be healthy. We have this basic need for that kind of physical security. But, but it turns out our physical needs are actually not that complicated. How much roof does it take to keep you dry? How many layers of clothing does it take to keep you warm, especially in Arizona? How much food can you possibly eat before it actually starts making you feel worse? Our physical needs are not that complicated. We, we long for that security, for that peace. We long for people. This is, this is relationship. I, I have a longing to, to care for people and to be cared for, to, to have companions for the journey, to be accepted, to be able to be real with people and be accepted as I am. 
The fundamental word the Bible uses for relationship is love. We long to love and to be loved. We long for people. We long for purpose, to to be a part of something that's bigger than myself, to know that my life matters, to have something of significance that's going to be here when I'm gone. I think of this as as a longing for God, to to have a relationship with God and to be a part of the the big project that God has going on in the world. We we long for purpose. I think that these longings are, are given to us by God. These needs are gifts from God that draw us towards each other and towards God because there's not one of those things that you can do on your own. The world's abundance is about independence. It's about not needing anybody. It's about being separated from people. God's abundance is about bringing us together for a life of relationship and meaning and significance. If, if God's abundance is about bringing us together for a meaningful life, the world's abundance is about cutting us off from one another to live a life spent on nothing that ends in a meaningless death. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus comes so that you would have life and have it abundantly. So this this idea of abundant life, I want to use that as the the backdrop for talking about the the parable that we heard read for us this morning. This is often considered the most perplexing of Jesus' parables. It goes by a whole bunch of names because everybody is like arguing about what it means and because this guy seems like he's getting commended for his dishonesty. And so so what are you going to do with that? So you know, Jesus tells this story. He gathers the disciples around and, and he says, there's this guy, I'm going to call him Eliezer. Like Eliezer is this super rich dude and um, he has so much stuff he needs help. So he hires this guy, Zeke, to help out smooth talking guy. Now, a couple of months later, uh, his buddy comes to him and he says, hey, El, you know, that guy, Zeke, he's just using you, man. He's just living off your stuff. He's not doing jack. So Eliezer checks into it. Sure enough, it's true. So he's like, calls Zeke in and he says, you bring me all the the client books. You're fired. Well, now Zeke's like, man, these arms are made for loving, not lifting. And I'm way too good looking to beg. What am I going to do? And he has this idea. So he goes to Eliezer's uh, first customer and he he says, how much do you owe? And the guy says, $100,000 worth of olive oil. And Zeke says, not anymore. Now you owe 50. Remember who took care of you. He goes to the next guy. How much do you owe? And he says, $200,000 worth of wheat. He says, how about we knock 40,000 off that? And one by one, he goes and he marks down all the bills. Then Eliezer finds out about this and he hunts Zeke down and he says, I got it handed to you. That was pretty smart. And the disciples are like, that is not the ending I expected. They're looking at each other, and then Thomas is, says, um, we don't get it. And Jesus is like, listen, the, the children of the world are wiser in how they handle money than the children of the kingdom of God. Peter's like, uh, so you want us to cheat rich people out of their money? 
Jesus like, oh, for crying out loud, this is exactly what I'm talking about. No, use money to make friends for yourself so that you will be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. You, you, if, you, if you don't know how to use money, why would God ever give you the stuff that really matters? Why, why do I have to keep telling you, you can't be a slave to money and still serve God? And the disciples all nod, go, ah. Oh. And the church has been arguing about what this parable means for 2,000 years. Um, so, so to understand this, I'm going to back up one step and talk for a minute about stewardship. So, so that's, a, that's a word that we use in the church sometimes, stewardship. Well, that comes from steward, which, which is a, a word that basically means manager. So that's why in a lot of the, the translations you see today, they'll, they'll talk about manager. They'll use that word. So it basically, it's just somebody who is managing somebody else's stuff. And when Jesus talks about money, this is the, the core idea that he talks about all the time, right? And, and the, you have to understand, in the Old Testament, there was this idea of tithing. Tithe means tenth. And, and so basically, the law said that um, the first tenth, 10% of everything that comes in is to be given to God. And, and from this, the Israelites developed this misunderstanding that, that 10% is God's and 90% is mine. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, 100% is God's. It, it's all God's. God has entrusted it to you so that you can be a part of God's love for the world and God's work in the world. Tithing was never about who gets what percent. It was about who comes first. God comes first, whether it is our time or our, or our talents or our money, whatever it is, that's what tithing was about, is, is that, that God comes first. So a lot of us today have lost sight of even a tenth being God's because the world tells us that's your money. You worked hard. You, you studied for that job. You did the effort. It's for you because you made that money yourself. But that's never been true. I didn't choose to be born into the land of opportunity. I didn't choose to have an engineer's mind that some big company is happy to pay money for. I didn't build the schools that I was educated in. Everything that I have derives either from a gift that God gave me or that God gave to somebody else that they shared with me. It, it has never been true that it's all mine. To, to this one, God gives the ability to think. To this one, God gives the ability to create beauty. To this one, God gives physical strength. To this one, God gives compassion. Each one of us has a piece of the puzzle. And when we bring our piece together, all the pieces together make the beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. Each of us sharing what God has entrusted to us with the others. But like petulant children, we say no. This is my piece. I don't want to put it in the picture. And when we say that, we're demonstrating a grave misunderstanding of whose stuff it is and what it's for. So, in the, in the 
story, the steward slashes the bills and gets commended for it. And, and that gets everybody all twisted up because like, why would he be commended for dishonesty? So there's a whole, there's a number of different interpretations trying to solve this problem. Uh, the most popular is like, well, this guy was tacking on a whole bunch on top of the bill and now he's just cutting off his part. So actually he's an honest manager, although Jesus does call him the dishonest manager. And so, so that's the most common interpretation. I think that interpretation is wrong. Um, if you want to know what my interpretation is, you'll have to ask me afterwards because I'm not going to tell you because it's totally irrelevant. It has nothing to do with the point that Jesus is making. It doesn't have to do with that. The, the, the point that, that Jesus is making is, um, is about relationship. So um, I, I want to ask you a question and, and you know, think about this for a second, quietly. What's the best thing you ever bought? Just think for a second. What's the best thing you ever bought? Um, I have this treasure box where I keep all of my most priceless purchases. I like to pull it out and look at things once in a bit. I have a picture. This is a 1991 Mitsubishi Galant VR4. 200-horsepower engine, 0 to 60 in 6.9 seconds. I like acceleration. Um, it, it's all-wheel steering. It was Mitsubishi's attempt to compete with BMW back in the 90s. Next slide. This is my VR4. I bought this car in 1993 for $12,000, which was a smoking steal. Um, drove like a dream. I love this car. There, it's sitting right there in my driveway. Even today, zero to 60 depends on how fast the tow truck is. It hasn't run in years. My wife keeps trying to pry it from my cold, dead hands, but, but I have this dream of getting it running again, and I just can't bring myself to send it to a junkyard. My Mitsubishi Galant is not in my treasure box. It's not even close to the best thing I ever bought. The best thing I ever bought was a mom. A, a friend of mine was uh, visiting from India. And, and he's, he's like, hey, I want to collect some money to take back to help meet, meet needs in India. And so I, I wrote him a check, and a couple, a couple of years later, he came back and said, oh, by the way, that money you gave, we used it to pay for a surgery for a mom with two little kids. Saved her life. Thank you. That has brought me joy over and over. How much is a mom worth? I don't even know how to answer that question, but I can tell you I paid far less for a mom than I paid for that car. There's other things in my treasure box. Um, there, there was a, a woman at work one, one day. I was on my way uh, out to lunch, and, and she looked upset. So on my way back from lunch, I bought some flowers, and I'm like, looks like your day sucks. Here's some flowers. Or I don't know what I said. It was lame. But she started crying and said, thank you. A year later, she left the company, and at her going away party, she had invited all the other admins and me. 
I hadn't even seen her that much, but something about that was significant enough to her that a year later she invited me to her going away party. Didn't even cost me 10 bucks. That's, that's a steal. I've been on the receiving end too. I didn't, I didn't pay for this building, but it was here with you all in it when I needed it. So, if, if you've been supporting Axiom, you've been a greater blessing to me than you'll ever know. Thank you. Do you, do you like baptisms? We had a, a baptism a few weeks ago. If you've been supporting Axiom, then James is in your treasure box because you help make that possible. This is, there, there's two people in India who grew up with a mom. Maybe more, I don't know. Maybe a bunch of grandkids who, who grew up with a grandma. I don't know, I've never met any of them. But someday, I'm gonna get to meet them in heaven and it's gonna be pretty awesome. My car can't even make it out of the driveway, much less to heaven. My car is not going to be there. My house is not going to be there. The things I've built in my career, not going to be there. Credit card bills, not going to be there. That mom's going to be there. So, in the parable, it seems like the manager is being commended for dishonesty. He's not being commended for dishonesty. He's being commended for understanding what the money is for, that it's for relationship, right? He's, he's commended for, for turning the money into friends. Um, so, so, you know, what, what, are, what are we investing God's money in? And, and Jesus closes out the, the parable with this. Um, basically, basically, he says, money, money isn't important to God. It's not even the good stuff, but but God is entrusting it to you to see if you can handle responsibility. And why would God give you the things that really matter if you can't even handle something as trivial as money properly? That's kind of a harsh thing to say. Um, but, but remember, Jesus wants us to have an abundant life. He wants us to have the true riches. And he's saying, this stuff is going to get in your way. So, Jesus doesn't say what the true riches are, but I'm pretty sure that whatever they are, they're a lot, lot more valuable than the junk in my garage. So, that's the story of the unjust steward. Don't, don't get tangled up in the stupid debate about whether he was honest or dishonest. That is, that is not Jesus' point. Jesus' Jesus' point is that this is all God's money and that God has given it to you so that you can be a part of God's love for the world, a part of bringing the things that, that matter um, permanently. So what does God want done with money? Live, live freely with it. Love freely with it. Loan freely without worrying about if it's gonna come back. Who cares, it's just stuff. Give freely. God wants us to be a part 
of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. In Peoria, as it is in heaven, right? What are you doing with God's money? Does the idea of living generously frighten you? My little children, do not be afraid, for God is with you. It is Jesus who is saying, live generously. The world says happiness is found in cars and phones and potato chips. Jesus says joy can be found in love and meaning and purpose in the kingdom. The world says you don't have enough. If you, if you just buy this one more thing, then you'll find what you're looking for. Jesus says, you already have more than enough. God wants to provide for you, not just your physical needs, but your emotional needs and your spiritual needs. The world is calling you to consume, but in the end, it will consume you. Jesus is calling you to give your life up to him so that you can truly live This is Jesus who is begging you not to trust in Walmart and Amazon, but to trust him. When he calls you to abundance, when he calls you to a life of generosity, when he calls you to be wise with God's stuff, when he calls you to give up your life the way he gave up his life for you, Jesus is calling you to a life filled with peace and purpose and people. Jesus is calling you to an abundant life. You pray with me. Thanks again for listening to the Axiom Church podcast. If you'd like to participate in the generosity of this community, you can give um, on our website under the link give. Also, if you'd like to connect with somebody on our team, You can fill out the connect form on our website under the link connect.